May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable unto thee, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day you set your mind to understand and humbled yourself before God. Your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. Is that comforting or terrifying? I think it's a little bit of both, actually, because if you think about it, this whole endeavor of having a God who loves us is and ought to be a little bit of a frightening thing. If you think about it, what Daniel experienced is probably one of the biggest hopes and fears that we all have at the same time, that when we go down on our knees with wanderings of mind and coldness of heart, as one of the prayers in the prayer book has, we are, before our, we are on our knees and we are before our God, and we expose our wandering mind, our coldness of heart, our fickleness, We expose all of that to our Lord, our God, for his observation, his judgment, eventually, and hopefully his mercy. Rather a scary thing, I would say, because if we think about it, when we do go before God, we end up exposing ourselves in all of our all of our failings, all of our difficulties, all of our humanness and sinfulness to God. I love and I fear Michaelmas, which is what we have today. Today is the Feast of Michaelmas. And I love it because it is a wonderful day in which we have the chance to consider the things eternal, what God surrounds himself with in heaven, the cherubim, the seraphim, the angels, and all the glory that comes therein. And I have some degree of fear about it because I have to preach on it. And I have to say something semi-intelligible about it. Now, I don't know about you, I've never been there, at least so far as I can remember. And as a result, I don't actually have a personal knowledge of who the angels are, or what a seraphim looks like, or what a cherubim sounds like. And yet, we have to contend, don't we, with the fact that these creatures are real, and that they are going to inhabit our eternities, we hope. And as a result, we need to understand a little bit about the way that God has things working in heaven. And today is the day that we do it. So what is it that we can say about heaven? What is it that we can say about the things that go on in heaven and the things that give a sense of meaning to God in his eternal and infinite space? Well, we know a couple of things. We know, for example, that Angels are real. Now, in case you question that, all you have to do is go back into the Bible, and you see that there are mentions about angels throughout all four gospel accounts. And in many of those mentions, you have Jesus himself 
telling us that there are angels and that they are going to be doing things. Now, I don't know about you, but from my perspective, if I have Jesus telling me something in the Gospels, I'm going to tend to believe it. And if Jesus tells us that there are angels, there are angels. So that's one thing. They're real. Now, another thing that we can say about angels is that they do real work. An angel is not some mythological apparition that wears sparkly robes out of Branson and plays heavenly vuvuzelas like you see at, the, uh, at soccer matches telling us about scene changes in heaven or whatever other silliness we might ascribe to angels when they are portrayed here on earth. They aren't fluff. They matter and they do important things. So that, of course, leads us to the third thing. What is it exactly that they do? I would say that what the task of an angel is is actually intimately related to why we should care about how we present ourselves to God in prayer and to God in the rest of our lives. And that is that the angels have the very important job of reestablishing or strengthening God's order. Now, why is that important? Well, we can get some ideas from Scripture. When we think about Luke 1.26, when the angel Gabriel comes to announce the incarnation to the people of Bethlehem, we see a good example of an angel coming to reestablish order, that you have an angel coming to tell us that the incarnation, which is quite possibly the grandest and most important piece of order that God has given into his creation from the depths of time into the end of time, that an angel is the one who comes and lets us know. Now, we also know from other sources that angels have another task. We know out of Matthew, chapter 13, starting at verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net which was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. And when it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good, uh, the good into vessels but threw away the bad. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire. Their men will weep and gnash their teeth. I would say that that definitely constitutes not a Branson-inspired image of what an angel is. Angels do real work. And their work is terribly important work. And their work is going to matter to us when we actually come to that time in God's time. So why should we care? I would say that it's because of the last reason, that when we look at the nature of work that the angels do, when we look at how they produce order, what is it that they are saying to us about God's order? And now we get into the heart of what our readings are about today. Because what they talk about is nothing less than the nature of what God sees as important for those who surround him. Anything from the highest seraphim 
to the lowliest and most sinful but repentant sinner. And that, nonetheless, is about humility. It is about submission. And it is about placing yourself before God and emptying yourself of yourself to allow God to fill you. We see it in Daniel. Why is it that God has heard Daniel's voice and is acting on it? Is it because Daniel is such a stellar character? Perhaps he is, but nonetheless, we know that actually he approached God in a spirit of humility. We see in our gospel lesson today a perfect example of this. We see that there is an argument breaking out about who is greatest in heaven. It's so like us, isn't it? It's so like us. Even if we do a good job of portraying to the rest of the world that we're very devout and that we are very, I don't know, we're trying to be very submissive, that in our hearts always burns that sense of, yeah, I'm better than him. I've got it all over that. I'm a better driver. I'm a better preacher. I'm a better this, I'm a better that. And of course, when we engage in that, we are engaging in the very thing that is being said in today's gospel, that the apostles are talking about who is greatest in heaven? Who's closest to God in the seating plan? Who's got the fanciest little nameplate on the table at the heavenly banquet? Brianna, somehow... I'm not sure about that. But you know what? The good thing is, I'm not sure about it for any of us. I'm not sure about it for any of us. Because the way that Jesus answers tells us something very important. That he brings a child. Yes, he brings someone like you, Brianna. And he sits the child on his lap. And he says, you've got to be like this. Now, let's not forget that children, then as now as delightful and wonderful as they are, were sometimes a little bit, oh, shall I say, um, disruptive of good order. (laughs) You wouldn't know what I'm talking about, would you, Brianna? No. No. (laughs) Children were disruptive of order. They didn't do the right things. They didn't keep their mouths closed when they should, and they didn't open them when they should, and that they would run around and they would create havoc, like kids do now. And of course, the apostles must have known this. The apostles must have been thinking, what's Jesus on? I mean, what is this? And of course, Jesus goes on to explain that you have to have a spirit of humility, a spirit of emptiness of self in order to be able to come and sit on God's right hand with him. Now, that's a tall order, isn't it? Because if we are supposed to be like that, it means that we can't be focused on the things of what is great or who is great. We can't be thinking about, well, I've got a great skill, so therefore I should be a few inches ahead of this other Joe who's next to me. 
And in so doing, we learn something fairly important about God's order. We learn that what organizes heaven, we learn that what organizes the relationship of all the heavenly host and the saints who have gone on before us is not about who was great. It's not about who was king or who was pope or who was president, but instead was about who gave glory back to God without thought or worry about self. In fact, we see in the epistle today that we see this experience out of the revelation to John that we have Michael defeating the great serpent, otherwise known as the devil or Satan. And if you think about it, what is the devil or Satan? Other, anything other than that who or that what disorders the creation and disorganizes the creation. And in case you have question about that, think about sin in your life. Like I think about sin in my life. Does sin disorganize or does it organize? Does sin put things together the way they should be or does it pull them apart from the way they should be? I don't know about you, but sin for me takes me apart. It prevents me from functioning as God would have me function and it puts me in a place where I stand in pieces before God and thus when I go on my knees... I am in a place where I need to be accounting for the fact that I am on my knees and I am in pieces and that I am not all well put together and organized. In short, the entire enterprise of salvation is completely about order. It is completely about organization. And it's about being ordered and organized in the ways that God would have us be ordered and organized. This is nothing less than the key to our salvation, and it is nothing less back to the original question of why it is that Daniel was heard and his words were hearkened to before God. Because in the end, what Daniel did was acknowledge his brokenness, his disorder, his disorganization, and in so doing, place himself in humility before our God. There are those who, I think, were from the Reformation who would place a little bit of skepticism on the place of things like angels and the powers of heaven and would say that it's not our job to be so concerned about them. I would argue that, in fact, actually, we ignore the mediators of God's order at our own peril. I would probably agree with the Reformation skeptic that do we pray and give worship to an angel? No. Angels are not worthy of worship. But if my life has a tendency to come apart, to have the wheels come off the bus, and that I lie before God in prayer broken, and hopefully humble, and asking for help to be organized, wouldn't I want to have whatever it is that God designates as something that helps to scoop everything up and organize things? Wouldn't I want to have that 
work for me. When we've sinned, when we've been ill, when we've had family problems, when we have had struggles in our lives, the wheels have come off the bus, haven't they? And when they come off the bus, we know from Scripture that angels are real. We know from Scripture that they do real work, and we know from Scripture that the work that they do is fundamentally about reordering and reorganizing God's creation, not only for God's glory, but in so doing for God's glory for our benefit. Wouldn't you want that? Yes, we need to pray. Yes, we need to give thanks to God. We need to worship God for the sacrifices that he made upon the cross for our redemption. But it is through that that God works in our lives. And it is through that that God organizes and gives us meaning and gives us purpose again when we fall. I would argue that when you get on your knees like Daniel and you acknowledge your brokenness and you acknowledge that the wheels indeed have come off the bus, wouldn't it be an incredible thing if God appeared to us, perhaps through an angel, to tell us that indeed your words have been heard and that as the result of that, I am coming into your life to fix it. Glory be to God who has given us salvation in his son, Jesus Christ. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.